Hi, this is Isaac Arthur. Welcome to the show and don't forget to check out this month's Nebula exclusive, Giant Space Monsters. To get access and help support the show while hearing every episode early and ad free, plus hours of bonus content, check out go.nebula.tv slash Isaac Arthur and use my code Isaac Arthur. When our ambassador to the aliens of the Denal party system found out he was invited to be the guest of honor at their annual feast, he told his alien colleagues he was very nervous trying to come up with a good speech. Thankfully they assured the ambassador that he needn't worry about it and they merely wanted to have him there for dinner as a man of wisdom and good taste. I generally tend to fall into the category of being skeptical that there are any alien civilizations within our own galaxy, and probably even our small corner of the universe. A lot of the reason for that comes down to trying to think through how a given alien civilization would act if they arrived on the galactic scene ahead of us, and also considering this in light of various concepts for alien behavior folks in science fiction have come up with. Frequently these are high concept scenarios like what if life evolved on a world with no sun or two suns, or tweaking existing traits to a greater extreme, like the warrior culture of the Kleons from Star Trek, or a science and logic devoted culture like the Vulcans. A lot of times the behavior seems to break down on examination or suggest unexpected pathways the behavior should seem to almost inevitably lead to, frequently counterindicating such a species could really exist, or if it does, should generally act as what we call a loud alien, the kind we absolutely expect to see on the galactic stage if they arrived before we did, and which seem rather absent. The biology and psychology of aliens is hard to contemplate beyond presumably being Darwinian in origin, or in the case of some successful species engineered by those aliens, like if they made artificial intelligence and that later wiped them out, enslaved them, or even ate them. This is our topic for today though, contemplating what an alien species would be like that was, for lack of better words, very hungry. Needless to say, it depends a lot on what we mean by hungry. We could be talking about a species who has a taste for human meat, which is probably the default of what folks were expecting coming into this episode, or we might mean a species that's fast growing in numbers, or an individual body or entity and driven principally by a need for food production. That would be normal enough in nature, but I would go so far as to say that a lot of what separates advanced civilizations from natural species is a tendency to lean away from basic survival urges as their key motivation and impulse. But we could also get more metaphorical about hunger, or metaphysical for that matter, Civilizations that are driven to expand and gobble up their galaxy, or by an insatiable hunger for something else like knowledge, or euphoria-inducing drugs, or some vampiric race that sucks the life out of others in some physical or metaphorical way, or even some metaphysical soul eaters. Of course this is SFIA, where episodes generally run around half an hour, so I think we can spend a little time on each of those options, so hit that like and subscribe button, grab a drink and a snack, and let's talk about hungry aliens. We may as well begin with the classic sci-fi case of aliens deciding they like to eat humans, and realistically there is no reason to think eating fellow sapient beings would be considered a big no-no out there among the stars. Cannibalism is ridiculously common in nature, it solves the dual problem of trying to get some food while eliminating competition for that food. In evolutionary terms, it's not tricky to have cannibalism, it's tricky getting the mutations that discourage that especially considering those new mutants without the cannibalism trait are likely to get eaten by their cannibalistic non-mutant siblings. 
However, the upside of not wanting to eat your own is that it does make social behavior a lot easier, but isn't actually necessary. Prairie dogs are an example of a cute cuddly mammal that's principally vegetarian and is not a lone wolf, but does engage in cannibalism. Same for hamsters, hedgehogs, pigs, and even occasionally rabbits, and it is way more common in other animal classes, spiders and sharks are notorious for it, but even chickens, which are quite social but also not terribly nice to each other, it's also popped up in a lot of human cultures over the centuries. Plus, cannibalism is eating the same species, often actual siblings or other close relatives, but an alien wanting to take a bite out of you isn't even as closely related to you as you are to a hamburger, and that includes a vegan one. I don't tend to think aliens will be terribly obsessed with DNA, or whatever they use, in terms of their identity, same as we don't feel more kinship for random human skin cells someone shed as we do for cat or dog, they are likely to love or hate us based on a lot of other traits, physical and mental and social, not just our genetic diagram compared to theirs. Nonetheless, the taboo on cannibalism in an evolutionary context is presumably about species survival, so we have no reason to assume it's universal, or that other civilizations out there in the universe would widen their taboo on eating themselves to include us, if they had such a taboo. This last weekend's Sci-Fi Sunday episode on Hive Worlds, which is basically a concept synonymous with dystopian civilizations, explored the big issue of where those megacities were getting all their food, and also their sheer enormity, and the recognition that while it isn't really logical to feed a person up from birth to eat them like cattle, It is also generally logical to recycle all your waste in the most efficient way possible, and you can draw your own correlations on where that leads a civilization, but odds are it means at least some civilizations go to a funeral both to sincerely mourn a lost relative and get a free meal. We can't really assume they have any fear of catching diseases from eating one another either. The situation gets a bit grimmer too, because while eating a piece of meat that in turn ate tons more calories to make it isn't terribly efficient, we already do this when it comes to livestock and the degree of inefficiency is higher but may not matter much to a post-scarcity civilization. So a lot might come down to whether or not they had developed good means of synthesizing meat before encountering fellow aliens and also considered a good substitute rather than a cheap knockoff for the real deal. In spite of all that, I really don't see any civilization choosing to keep intelligent, reasoning creatures around principally for food. It is not efficient and it is very dangerous. If you think having a bull running around is risky, and it certainly can be, it is still nothing on the trouble a human can cause, let alone billions of them kept around for snacks. For my part I do tend to think certain core ethics like murder and theft are intrinsically wrong, But whether or not it is, it is also hard to imagine a civilization long-lasting that didn't have that baked in. So too, empathy is a trait that is socially valuable to at least have a bit of, and trying to picture a civilization that actually enjoys eating intelligent aliens, to the point of blowing vast amounts of effort and resources at keeping them as livestock, instead of some synthetic version, even a VR version if they enjoy the hunt, just seems like something beyond crazy and evil which is easy enough to imagine in fiction, some over-the-top psycho-civilization, or even for some very powerful and solitary entity like the sorts of monstrous dark gods those fictional civilizations often worship, but it is very hard to imagine how these groups or entities would actually function without collapsing on themselves in short order. We almost have to contemplate a civilization that specifically views other intelligent life as fair game, but not so much each other, 
and this seems very likely to be the sort of opinion that causes schisms and fragmentation into various ideological camps, which in space colonization terms basically means rival neighboring civilizations, ones that presumably have relative technological parity to your own. This is a very key point to galactic colonization in a universe that doesn't seem to allow FTL faster than light travel. Whether or not there were aliens in your corner of the galaxy when your civilization became spacefaring, after tens of thousands of years, as you colonize that region and start looking like more than a tiny dot on the galactic map, you are a diffuse sprawl of billions of worlds with centuries of time lag between communications. You are not unified, especially with all the divergence likely to be introduced by vast physical separation, genetic engineering, cybernetics, and adapting to life on different alien planets. There may not have been any aliens when you left your homeworld or none within a million years of travel, but before very long there are plenty of aliens, and they are right on your border, and odds are many of them do not like you, especially if you are not very likable, and while ethics can vary, there isn't a lot of reason to think that your cousins would come if you asked for help against some alien aggressors or those seeking revenge if they also were nasty characters, unless it was to enjoy front row seats at your destruction or lend a hand. Always one of those critical points, because while quite a few empires and mighty realms have been built or thrived while having some absolutely treacherous and villainous folks at the helm, and manning the oars, it has even more commonly been the case when that civilization was slamming into an iceberg. It's probably overly poetic to claim that evil is its own worst enemy and turns fratricidal, Nonetheless, internal feuding and everyone thinking they're all mutually contemptible people doesn't really sound like a recipe for stable and long-lasting mega-civilizations. I would argue that the implications of that are that any activity which would seem illogical, heinous, and not in any major way beneficial should have a half-life in a large and non-unified civilization, as there's bound to be folks occasionally noting that the activity is incredibly wasteful, probably evil, and serves no good end and that generally would provoke folks to push against, while even many of those who personally like it would defend it weakly or come out against it, and over time erode the behavior down. That might just be my often noted optimism, of course. Now we can't argue that for the case of eating people, or alien people, as we can't assume they don't have any physical need for sustenance derived from an animal not native to their homeworld, and even if they really wanted to, they ought to be able to use some mix of cloning or synthetic meat growing and VR or other brain augmentation or tweaks to eliminate any real need to go for the original and 100% natural free-range human. That might shift if we're throwing more metaphysical or supernatural scenarios on the table of course. But what about the alternative case where they just happen to be hungry? which is to say their civilization is consuming resources faster than they are renewing them and in a very short-term and unstable way. This one would actually seem really easy to contemplate as you could make a very good case it was the default state of humanity and every living organism, but we have to contemplate in a no-FTL case, which is where sci-fi can kinda trick us. Invading another solar system to take their stuff and increase your own numbers as a result, or longevity, has some major and maybe insurmountable issues with it. Humans are not super fast at reproduction, it's not hard to imagine an intelligent species could do a lot better than our growth rates. It also isn't hard to imagine human subgroups opting to go for ultra-big families, especially in a space colonization era, or accessing technologies like cloning and artificial intelligence to raise their kids, especially on that latter one, I believe that fad is coming and soon, 
though I don't mean in an exclusive sense of some robot raising your kid from birth, but the teddy bear version of ChatGPT, child-proofed on language and topics and tweaked to help with basic learning. That is, right around the corner, and probably one of those inventions that whoever pulls it off convincingly first will be raking cash in like it grew on trees and was autumn in the forest. Point being though that while at the moment we seem to be curbing our growth compared to the explosion we had in the 20th century, quadrupling the human population in 100 years, a lot of that is a mix of fear of overpopulation and scarcity mixed with people wanting to start families later and keep them smaller so as not to impinge on other life pursuits, and the goal of technology is to allow folks to have their cake and eat it too. So if you're in a situation where folks feel like they can comfortably expand their numbers, that's probably what's going to happen. That's the first condition of the Dyson Dilemma of the Fermi Paradox we've discussed since episode 1 of this show, and the term comfortably has never been limited to simply having some extra resources at hand. What this means though is that a civilization can expand very quickly if it wishes to, in terms of ramping up its numbers, and if it has the resources to fuel that. We usually say a Dyson Sphere can hold upwards of a billion times what our current population is, and that's roughly 2 to the 30th power or 4 to the 15th power, 30 doublings or 15 quadruplings. If your population is quadrupling every century, you max a Dyson Sphere in about 15 centuries, give or take. It also gets worse when we throw in longevity increasing technologies. For a little context here, if that civilization is capable of warp driving around the galaxy Star Trek style, it would fill up all the reasonably terraformable planets in the same time, and hit K3 status of turning every star into a Dyson Swarm sometime around the year 5000 AD. And even if we're only doubling every thousand years, that's really only pushing this back to 60,000 AD. This is why every Fermi Paradox solution has to find some way of sabotaging this scenario if it includes FTL as a possibility. It's still a big issue in a no FTL universe, but the dynamics shift, as you can't actually export your surplus population off fast enough for that home solar system to support that sort of growth, unless you intentionally shift to matching your surplus population growth with whatever you can sustain in terms of shipping people to other stars. Moreover, a century is a very plausible timetable to reach another star and establish some sort of community, and you could easily quadruple your colonists on that ship or fleet in that time too. There's lots of free time to have kids and raise them during that voyage. Nor can you really be sending out waves of conquering invaders, as while amusingly, you could breed, grow, or train your invasion force in route from a smaller initial supply, your target system needs to be significantly weaker than your invasion force, or it is going to have your entire multi-century trip to grow its numbers and build guns and star fortresses, or build self-replicating automated guns and star fortresses that can rapidly grow and just murder the incoming fleet. You can do multi-generational invasions from solar system to solar system, but it tends to imply moving walls of civilizations that have actively colonized their Oort cloud in deep space. So the border isn't light years deep, just light hours. You also have quite a logistical nightmare doing this stuff with years or even centuries of travel time and com lag, and even if you have multiple star systems involved in the effort, it probably isn't many, and they're not likely to be terribly well coordinated. Which is an understatement, as a multi-year time lag on exchanging information and orders would probably literally qualify as the least coordinated military offensive in history. For me it summons the image of someone with a Ouija board claiming to have instant communications to home fleet, and probably producing better strategic results 
than anyone waiting for actual orders from home, which is why you really only have the slow and super colonized Oort to Oort Cloud Crawl Attack option, as their lag is more normal, hours or days of lag between major theaters, maybe weeks, not decades. So the point is that your civilizations here have to have come to terms with exponential growth in some fashion at this point. It is not that they won't want more resources, they just don't likely to think that locust approach is a good one, as you're essentially in a situation where everybody has insecticide. It doesn't take much more technology than we already have to say to an incoming invader, we have laced every asteroid and other celestial body with large pockets of self-replicators, if we trigger them it's going to set off a scorched earth strategy where they will begin to just make guns and battleships and more of themselves until we say stop, you go away, or every last bit of resources is used up, meaning you will come out in the red on this ploy, even if you win. In which case your options switch over to the diplomatic or reasoned ones, which is not to say benevolent or fair, just that the actors in this scenario are not able to operate on a ravenous, mindless, hungry approach but have to be more nuanced. And yes, they do have the option of saying they don't care and attacking anyway, but that doesn't seem a great strategic position to be in, and since you can only move so fast, all your neighbors are hearing of your behavior long before you can get to them, meaning each successive target has more time to react and more examples of your behavior to motivate them, and since space is 3D, your warfront is expanding with a square of distance while your homeworld and supply chains are also getting longer. I don't know about you, but that is not a hand of cards I personally would envy being dealt, Just generally speaking it is so much easier to blow stuff up than to build it, and everything in space is so slow that every enemy ship is going to be able to fight till its goose is cooked and still ram you or blow itself up so you get nothing out of it but a big ammo and repair bill, and you're just repeating that at every step of your engagements over trillions and trillions of miles. Also we have to keep in mind that this civilization, in an alien context, has been having its own divulgent worlds as the most likely targets for expansionism and conquest for many, many centuries before it ever bumps into another intelligent civilization that originated on another planet. It is pretty hard to imagine they wouldn't have burned out on this tactic by then, unless I'm wrong about its ineffectiveness, in which case they presumably have perfected this strategy by now. That does leave a hunger for things other than food or pure raw resources and energy, and that can alter the equation. I'm still on a Warhammer 40k kick from writing Hive Wards last week, and the voracious Tyranids from there could definitely qualify as hungry aliens, but the example that comes to mind here is the Cult Mechanicus of Mars from that setting. If you don't know it, think of a bunch of crazy cyborg priests in red robes, worshipping the lost knowledge of a prior golden age, and hunting for relics and lost schematics and textbooks. They are quite willing to sacrifice legions of troops and entire worlds to get those blueprints and also really, really, really touchy about intellectual property rights. They are hungry for those things and you don't really benefit from a scorched earth defense there because they only need to capture that one priceless relic, and they don't really care if you vaporize everything else in the process, and can threaten to vaporize you if you vaporize the relic. You could still tell them to take a hike, but the desire to flip on the doomsday devices and paperclip maximizer equivalents for ordnance is a little attenuated there. It would seem like you could just give them the knowledge or technology, but we could have a case where either you are willing to die to keep it out of their hands, or they are very firm on the idea that only they should have it, and that they might be planning to wipe you out for daring to look into those secrets forbidden outside their order. 
which again makes for some great fiction but there's no realism to losing valuable knowledge in a digital civilization. Plus in spite of how popular it is to say otherwise in fiction, it is stupidly easy to reinvent technologies and sciences from any existing examples, even really damaged ones. Knowledge need not be the only hunger, as we can certainly have the quest for the Holy Grail scenarios, or to use another sci-fi example from the Babylon 5 spin-off series Crusade, where they are in a desperate rush to search all sorts of abandoned and extinct worlds for a cure to a bioweapon deployed against Earth by a vicious and ancient civilization. And again this has some realism problems, as we have to consider why deserted and wrecked worlds weren't long since recolonized and all their secrets either recovered or wrecked in the process and why any of them would have superior technology to what was already around. There is actually a good in-universe reason for that in Babylon 5, though not one that holds up to scrupulous realism either. Nonetheless, we can imagine lots of cases of this sort of hunger, from a simple desire for colony world citizens to pilgrimage back to their homeworld, possibly militantly so, to a desire for sharing art and entertainment or history, or knowledge of astronomical observations. Each case is entirely different, and we risk watering the concept down to simply be interchangeable with the term motivation. The Drak though are a good example of an old and evil civilization with an almost supernatural need to be vicious parasites, as are the Dalgeldar from 40k, who actually have a supernatural need to be vicious parasites, and arguably the Reapers from Mass Effect, a franchise that seems to have drawn inspiration off Babylon 5. For other 90s sci-fi references we also have the Gould from Stargate, and the Wraith from its own spin-off show Stargate Atlantis, ancient nasty parasites, in their case literally, and as we've noted in other Alien Civilization series episodes, this is very popular in any sci-fi with a Lovecraftian Cthulhu flavored theme, and pushes more against our notion of terrifying predators waiting to eat us or steal our souls for fun and profit, theirs not ours, it is usually implied to be a fate worse than death. As in the other case of literal cannibalism at the beginning, or whatever we want to call eating intelligent aliens, it makes one wonder how these folks haven't gotten themselves ganged up on and obliterated. We don't need to repeat the arguments there, beyond noting they can have a supernatural metaphysical component that might make this more viable, and that also can't rule out some of the nastier Matrix-like scenarios we discussed a couple months back in Hacking the Simulation, where the actual rules of reality aren't what we think, and the fake reality we see has been set up so as to make it seem like these strategies don't work, so you don't bother to prepare to defend against them, when in the true reality they do work, thus we never suspect they are parasitizing us from that higher reality, or lower one given the implied infernal conduct. Basically that you have something like a soul and it is tasty and useful, and they've dumped you into a reality where you cannot easily detect such things and doubt they exist, so that you don't suspect they are robbing you or eating you. Obviously this being at odds with the apparent way our universe is set up, it doesn't really work for realism unless reality isn't the real reality, but it's a healthy reminder as we close out that it doesn't pay to take anything for granted with alien civilizations and their drives and motivations or capabilities, since our knowledge of how the universe works and how life evolves or sapience and consciousness work is still pretty new and limited and could be flat out wrong on many things. That might be seen as a bit of a cop-out if aliens do arrive and want to invite us to dinner, but honestly I'm not really worried about anyone accusing me of hedging my bets if that happens. That is the advantage of being a techno-optimist about humanity's future, if you're wrong, nobody's really around and in a position to point out your errors, 
In this case, everyone, including myself, would presumably be too focused on staying off the dessert menu. As I was mentioning a few days back in Hive Wars, this episode and that one are companion pieces, and yet there was still more to discuss, in terms of whether or not you could realistically be trucking food or other bulk cargo between planets or solar systems, so I decided to do a third short episode on the topic of space freighters, examining the logistics and numbers involved in trying to haul bulk cargo around, if that could ever be profitable or even reasonable, and what those ships might look like. It's a popular topic in sci-fi, but doesn't get a lot of serious scientific contemplation, and the results were actually rather surprising as we delved into it. That's out now exclusively on Nebula, our streaming service, where all our content comes out early and ad-free, and we often have bonus content, from extended editions to entire exclusive short or even full-length episodes, like last month's Colonizing Binary Stars, and many more. So if you want to catch exclusive content like that, along with seeing all our episodes a few days early and ad-free, including no sponsor reads, you can click in the link in the episode description, go.nebula.tv slash Isaac That lets you see all those exclusive episodes like Colonizing Binary Stars, and Space Freighters, or even full-length episodes like Planets vs. Megastructures, or our entire Coexistence with Alien series. And again, it's all early and uninterrupted by ads, so you can enjoy the episodes as intended. Nebula is a streaming service started by creators for creators and their audiences, and has grown to be the largest creator-owned streaming service, with tons of great content from an ever-growing community of creators. Using my link and discount, it's available now for just over $2.50 a month, less than the price of a drink or snack you might have been enjoying during the episode, and it goes to supporting new content from myself and other creators, like our new feature, Nebula Classes, so it's two for the price of one. When you sign up at my link, go.nebula.tv slash and use my code, IsaacArthur, you not only get access to all the great stuff Nebula offers, plus now classes, you also be directly supporting this show. Again, to see SFIA early and ad-free, and with all the exclusive content, go to go.nebula.tv slash As a general heads up, I was scheduled for surgery yesterday, obviously I'm writing this well before then, so I might not be too chatty in the comments for a bit, or in general, the plan is to operate on my nose and tongue to hopefully correct some breathing and speaking issues, and has some recovery time, hopefully for our livestream this weekend. I suspect so, but would reschedule it anyway, to be on the safe side, except I already rescheduled it once, to free myself up for the International Space Development Conference next weekend. For those curious, don't expect any rapid change in my voice, I record episodes a couple months in advance, and we also still need to retrain those muscles. Either way, please wish me well, and forgive me if I have to cancel that livestream, though again I don't expect to. Speaking of upcoming material, Next weekend we'll be heading back to the general notion of clock tech, super advanced technologies indistinguishable from magic, to contemplate all the ways we might warp reality and the applications of those as technologies. Then it's into June to look at colonizing the Kuiper Belt, followed by a look at how we can build enormously tall and strong structures like hive citadels in space towers. Then it will be time for our Sci-Fi Sunday episode, and a return to the Alien Civilization series, for a look at higher dimensional aliens. If you'd like to get alerts when those and other episodes come out, make sure to hit the like, subscribe, and notification buttons. You can also help support the show on Patreon, and if you want to donate and help in other ways, you can see those options by visiting our website, IsaacArthur.net. 
You can also catch all of SFIA's episodes early and ad-free on our streaming service Nebula, along with hours of bonus content at go.nebula.tv slash As always, thanks for watching and have a great week.